Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations' websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations' names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Well, hello everyone. Merry, Merry Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And I'm sitting down for our very first time with Georgia, our youth leader from Thoreau. Hey, Georgia. Hello, Rowan. How are you today? I am fantastic. We've been uh, trying to hook this up for ages. We're finally sitting down. I'm yep. re- uh, you, you get to be officially our second youngest guest, I think. Okay. I yes. like it because last week was... Last week was Adrian. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yep, so you're our second youngest guest. So uh, it's an honour. It's an honour. Oh, that's good. It's great to. It's good to have a good diversity. And so we have, we've got some Christmas chapters. We've got some New Testament stuff. We've got some Old Testament stuff. Which, actually, folks, um, just offline, I was saying to Georgia before we started, uh, there's reference, vague references in these passages to to the Christmas story. But I was a bit shocked that I put them in there to the degree that I did. But then Georgia tells me she reckons she's found a few little nuggets in there. So. Yeah, potentially. I we'll reckon. see where we go with it. It's going to be good. So uh, we've got a couple of chapters in Hosea today. We've got th- uh, three Psalms. We've got uh, two Luke's, three Luke's, three, three Luke's, Luke's, three Luke's, and a couple of Hebrews is yeah. our our conversation today as we uh, head towards our Christmas uh, Christmas celebration. So we're going to kick it off in um, in Hosea chapter 1. How do you want to do that? Do you want to have a read? Do you want to just discuss? What would you like to do, Georgia? Um, I think it's helpful. Um, I have a couple of questions just around the historical context. Of Hosea, yeah. Of Hosea and Good. where it fits into the story yep. in, in the context. Cool. So if you could start yeah, sure. us off there. Well, the very first thing is that Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, tells us the context of when this book take was taking place. So it says, uh, the Lord gave this message to Hosea, the son of Beery. I have no idea who Beery was. Uh, During the years of when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. So this actually uh, places the places this guy in a very common time frame, the same time frame as Isaiah. So, in fact, Isaiah prophesied almost a contemporary with Hosea. With Hosea, and Isaiah is obviously a big 
chapter. So we are talking about uh, during the time uh, in the Old Testament prior to the exile when the when the kings of Judah were reigning. Now, of these guys, Uzziah was a good guy. Jotham wasn't a good guy. That was his son. Mm. Ahaz was a really bad guy. And then Hezekiah, he turned the corner and became, he, as a young young uh, leader, he became a good guy. So it's a bit of a topsy-turvy kind of time. There's some good and there's not some good in the people of Israel and in the kings during that time. So we're talking um, maybe probably from about 7, 760 BC through to 700 BC, something like that. Yeah, sweet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's that's really good to give it some context behind yeah. that. Um, I'm just going to go for it and read that section and then we'll, we'll go back. Sure. Um so it says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and marry a promix- promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Dibliam. Dibliam, yep. Dibliam. Or Dibliam. Yeah, <laughs> and conceived and bore him a son. Now that's just a really interesting. <laughs> that is a wait what moment, isn't it? hundred percent. It really is. Why would God tell him to go and marry a promiscuous woman? A hundred percent. And and knowing that that's the story, and then it goes on um, to say uh, they had three children together, and one of them is called um, not loved. Yeah, not loved. Yeah, yeah. And another one is called not my not people. My people. It's yeah weird. Hey. <laughs> Yeah. so weird. It is so weird. weird. And to our mindset, like this is one of those moments where you go, how can that be the same God? I can't imagine Jesus advocating for that kind of tension there. It's a really Yeah, and then it's the mystery of, well, what is he trying to tell us? Yeah, about? yeah. What is he trying to say? And I think um, a little bit of context helps. It's not, it's not, don't get me wrong. I don't think, I think this is one of those situations where God limits himself and works within the mm. constraints of people's mm. social understanding. This isn't saying God's advocating for going and marrying promiscuous mm. women and all that stuff that happens in this story. I think God is willing to use this. And and very much in this era, uh, prophetic, prophetic, well, so let's say prophets in general, a big part of how they prophesied was the best way to describe it is almost like street theatre. Mm. So uh, Ezekiel did this. He he laid on the ground for in front of everybody, and he he does this thing where he gets all this meat and cops it and burns it in a pot, and and yeah. he chops up hair and blows it to the wind, and it's like street theatre. But that was a common way that the people understood that the prophets would speak. They would act mm. out God's uh, God's message. Mm. And so when you see this is an extreme version of that. This is mm. God saying, "I'm going to show you. I'm going to show. I want to show my people how much they have been promiscuous and have." turned on me and I'm going to get you to act it out for them so that they're confronted by how weird that looks. Yeah. And hopefully that will be enough to waken them and go, that's how you've treated me. You've, you've been like that. You said you'd marry me, then you ran off that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. And then it goes on to say just at the back end of that, um, yeah, that, that section, it goes, um, in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together and they will appoint one leader and will come out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, it just, it, it kind of shows that um, almost that Hosea's story and, and like you said, he's acting out what is almost happening between Israel and, yes, and God and, God, and, that's, and that's the right. destruction that is happening because Israel's turning away from God. Yeah, And so it's actually the acting out to go, all of these things are going to happen, but 
God, God's, God comes God's in. still going to call them back. Mm. He's going to have. He's going to receive them back. Mm. And in fact, we haven't got. We're not going to go into chapter three and four of Hosea. I don't think how many chapters are there? Four, I think. Yeah. Oh, there's twelve in Hosea. Sorry, yeah. big button. There's twelve in Hosea. But we're not going to go through the whole story. But there's this constant Gomer running away, and then Isaiah, and then Hosea going and calling him back, and all the way through, you see God's heart for His people. Yeah. Uh, that even though we wander. He still pursues us because yeah. we all wander. And I think that's the message in this. Is, yes, it's written to an Israelite people, but it's God's heart because we all make poor decisions. We all mm-hmm. aren't faithful to our resp- you know, our call to God to honour him. We, make, we, we turn and do our own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like a, a vivid way of catching God's heart. Mm-hmm. I think it's in Hosea it says something like, um, all day long, I held out my hands to a stubborn and obstinate people. So it's yep. like this calling out. God's He wants His people to have a relationship with Him. Yeah, and that's the joy that He keeps coming. That's back that's for that's us. His joy. That's that, and that should be um, that should give us joy that yeah. He has not abandoned yeah. us or forsaken us. Because heck, I wouldn't be here if it was up to if you know if God wasn't willing to forgive, I wouldn't be sitting here today. No, no, no it's good. He's it's faithful. Good. Yeah. So anything else in Hosea one there that. Stands out? Um, not particularly, no. I think that that kind of gives sums it up context. briefly. Yeah, gives some context behind yeah. why that that bit, bit of scripture is in there. Yep. Let me just have a quick look through and see if there's anything to point out in there that's over and above it. Yeah, now I think you've covered it. I think it's that whole thing of God reaching out, but them constantly wandering away. But God saying, when you call, I'll be there. Mm. When you call, I'll be there. And and I will graft. There's a reference there at the end. You mentioned it to grafting one people together because yeah. at this time the tribe of the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel mm. are two separate uh, countries. They've separated long many years before this. Yeah. But God's plan was always to bring all His people back. And and the Apostle Paul will pick up on this theme in the New Testament. I'm not sure what chapter it is. Uh, I'm not sure what book it is. He quotes this thing of where it says uh, in the very. It must be Galatians, I think, where he says. It was actually said in the very place where it quotes the end of it, where it said, you're not my people, you will be my people. And, and God is referring this to the Gentiles. He's actually saying God is reach, has been reaching out to the Jews. They are his people, but they didn't receive him. Those who did, who weren't his people, the Gentiles, you and me, we have received him. He will receive, he yeah. will, we will call out to him. So Paul uses this to comment about the relationship with the Gentiles. But the overarching heart that's supposed to come out of this is God's heart for people. Yeah. Despite the fact we wander. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to chapter two. Yeah. Let's All right. Do let's it. do it. So we come into chapter two of Hosea, and um, there's a as going on from our conversation just before, it goes through a little bit more about um, the, yeah, the disconnect between Hosea and the wife and, and all of those things. And then just a couple of things that we wanted to highlight. Um, there's a part in verse 8 where it says, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they use for bowl. And... Um, I guess that that's that reminder of, of what we're missing out on and what we can't see that God is doing yeah. um, and the things that he's offering to us and we almost have a like a cloth over our eye to mm. say, yeah, no, we don't see that. Yeah, and, and we and if, and if we 
do take it and receive it, mm. we use it for our own selfish purposes. 100%. Yeah. Yes. It's like yeah. God's giving us this beautiful stuff and we're taking it. And he's saying in this case they were taking it and turning it into worship of Baal and using it in a promiscuous and a, yeah. a sinful way. And I think it's a – I think of that and I think of my own life and think that I've got to stay thankful. Gratitude is an answer to that. Yeah. Otherwise we can get into some kind of sense of entitlement. Yes. As though um, everything we have we've earned yeah. or we deserve. Yeah. Rather than that sense of joy that comes from going, I don't deserve anything, but God's grace, he's given me everything. Therefore, Lord, because you've given me so much, I want to give back to you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like that. It's good. Um, And then a bit further down in um, verse 14, um, it kind of flips and it goes back to Hosea's pursuit of the wife and it's it's that reflection of God pursuing us and um, it says, therefore, I'm going to allure her. I lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Mm. Thou will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door for, of hope. Yeah, the valley of trouble, my version says. So that's Yeah, what, yep. there you go. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, it's just such a beautiful image of, of yeah, that leading into. And I, there's something about um, the, the use of wilderness there. I find that sometimes I picture wilderness as something that's, almost unknown and scary like mm-hmm. sometimes but the fact that yeah he's drawing her towards wilderness which is interesting because you're like oh is that a good thing or a bad ah, thing oh yeah okay so but, when you think of wilderness as a as an outdoor you know christian yeah. <laughs> camp walking person you, you're thinking like massive forest trees and we that's what we would naturally think yeah. of as wilderness yeah so so that's actually not the wilderness they're mm. thinking of the wilderness they are talking about is the wilderness where jesus went so yeah. to an israelite the wilderness is actually the place in southern Israel, which is desert, not desert like uh, Saudi Arabian desert that's just sand, but just nothing much grows there, just lots of rock and dryness, not much water, um, barren kind of uh, rough um, tussocks of grass, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to lure, he's he's actually saying, even in that place, I'm going to come out and find you. The, The picture there is he says, I will lead her into the desert and I will speak tenderly to her. Um, I'll return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. It's such a beautiful mm. picture of how God will find us even mm. in the middle of wilderness yeah. and will bring rain and refreshment and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful mm. poetic language. I think we just need mm. to sit with it. A lot of this poetic language, it's important just to sit, take your time, have a commentary open beside you because, like you say, wilderness or vineyards, mm. Well, a lot of the terminology used in the Old Testament poets and like the Psalms and the and the prophets is very geographical. Yeah. So you that's one of the great reasons to go to Israel is you can actually get a picture for it. But having a good um, Bible, like a Bible, what do you call it? Um, not the Bible dictionary, like a Bible atlas in front mm. of you that shows you pictures and shows you different aspects. Yeah. And you can you can picture things. Because this this uh, imagery is so rich, but mm. it skip goes straight past us if we don't um if we don't know the context that they yeah hundred percent that's what I did yeah when I was wrestling with that word wilderness, wilderness I looked yeah. up pictures and I was like oh. oh that's what it is exactly <laughs> that makes it's sense. not like the Canadian tall forests <laughs> yeah. and all, like, all the top of the escarpment here in the Illawarra yeah. it's, it's it's different kind of wilderness yeah but it's still this sense of barrenness nothing grows mm. there it's untamed yeah that's mm. the point it's untamed yeah. Um, not a place where you generally experience flourishing. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how you think of wilderness. Juxtaposition in that. Exactly, yeah, that's good. the juxtaposition. Now, taking wilderness to vineyards, that's the opposite. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you'll see that juxtaposition quite a lot in the in the Old Testament. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's good. 
later on um, in Hosea, it um, in verse 18, it says, In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that they may lay down in safety. I will betroth to you you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you acknowledge the Lord. Just beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. What do you make of, um, what what do you see when you read verse 18? Read verse 18 again. Yeah. You might even have your little Bible or have a footnote, but as you read that, that sounds a lot like something else in the Bible. Yes. Um, Yes. You got a footnote there? Yeah. No, actually. Okay. What does it remind you of? Covenant with the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground. Does that sound like Genesis yeah, language to you? Garden of Eden. <laughs> it's Garden of Eden language, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? So so that's and that's what they would have seen straight away. It's like God's saying, You have wandered off. Mm. You have done your own thing, but I haven't given up on you. The Eden story, mm. the plan that I have. It's still there. And on that day, I'm going to make a fresh covenant. Just like I made with Adam, I'm going to make a new covenant. Just because you messed up doesn't mean it's the end. Mm. I will bring about the Eden covenant all over again. And when you see that, folks, you'll see that a lot, references to back to hearkening back to Genesis. And Mm. it's often the language of the animals or it's the language of creation. It's amazing how that filters through it and was formed up their opinion about all of the Old Testament. So look for that Eden language. Mm. Um, and symbolo- symbology all through the Old Testament. Yeah, it's good. And the new for that matter. Yeah, 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 yeah it's so good. Um, yeah. And to end Hosea, it um, kind of goes back to chapter one and um, it says, yes. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. And I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And it kind of, it flicks back. I feel like, it's, yeah, those That's two actually chapters. a repeat of mm. the last few lines of chapter one. I've never yeah. seen that before. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. very good. So, yeah, it just kind of, yeah, those two chapters go really well together and yeah. just kind of complimenting each other in the story. And then it goes on. And then it actually goes on and tells the story, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, That's right. Yeah. So the chapters we're not going to do today is more about the whole process of Isaiah, his wife running away and going and getting yeah. it back. And he's acting it out. But mm. chapter one and chapter two. Is like a bit of an overview, a little yeah, sneak chap- peek. Yeah, it's like yeah, and it's almost like um, the same story in two different ways. Yeah, I like that. And there's a direct link. I've, I've learned something there. Thank you, Georgia. I've never seen <laughs> no, the link. It's good. It's That's good. great. <laughs> All right. Well, we will go over to. I think it's Psalm nine. Yeah, Psalm nine. Nine. I think it is Psalm nine off the top of my head. Yep. All right. We'll head there now. All right, so um, nine. Yeah, just as a slight side note, slight little um, something I've noticed in the last couple of weeks of of the podcast and reading the Bible um, through the the plan is that um, all of the words that are summing up Advent, like, you know, um, hope and love and joy um, and peace. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, hope, peace, love, joy. Yeah, yeah. Um, All of them, and I find that when I've been reading the Bible, it's all about – Hope despite circumstance. Yes. Love despite that. Yes, or, great. Or 
peace despite that. That'll preach. And yeah, yeah. And I just, and similar in when I was reading through these and preparing for this, it was joy despite circumstance Absolutely. or joy despite. And that it's, is, well, you've hit the nail on the head. That is mm. the Advent story. Yes, it that, is. That even in the midst of darkness, yeah. Christ comes. Yeah. So that, and that's why that's picked up all the way through. Yeah. And you'll see every one of those, I think, I don't know the history of why those four are the traditional Advent mm. themes, but for many years in liturgical calendars, they yeah. have been. But you'll find all the scriptures in the liturgical calendar do exactly that. It's like peace in, instead of, uh, in, in spite of trouble, it's it's yeah. hope in, st- in spite of seemingly hopelessness. Yeah. yeah. And that's the message of Jesus. So yeah. that's the message of Christmas. So yeah, well done. Just, yeah, good, little, just, um, good little pick up there. Yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. So as we go yeah, into the Psalms. You're going to see just, the same here. Yeah, you're going to see the same. and Joy despite yeah. trouble. Yeah, despite, and, and despite David trial. just does it so well yes. in, in all of his Psalms. So Yeah, great. That's um, a good thought. Love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, well it's good. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to start going through Psalm 9 and sure. we'll, we'll see where we land in yeah. that. Um, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell you of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies and you have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He he rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations that he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen to the pit they have dug. Their feet caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. Mm. Mm. Such a good passage of scripture that just... Um, yeah, just seeks to glorify and give thanks to Jesus, well, for, to God. To God, yeah. Yeah, for all that he's doing. And, and in spite of. In spite of yeah, the enemies. In spite, in spite of, of the enemy coming yeah. against him. Or the, the mere mortals, he said there at the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a declaration of God's greatness mm. and, and thankfulness for that, no matter how hard things yeah. get. Yeah, no matter what stands in, yeah, yeah, in the gap in the between. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Did you have anything you pulled out in particular or is just overarching? Yeah, just that overarching yeah. thought. Just across it, just the despite, yeah, all of the trouble that that is seen. That mm. yeah, and David, da- David regularly goes to some pretty dark places. He yes. was a very melancholy person, and yes. so in his psalms, he like he said there, "Have mercy on me, see how my enemies taunt me, snatch me back from the jaws of death." Mm. So he's obviously having a pretty dark day when he's yeah. writing this, and yeah. I love the fact that he's able to deeply express that and pour mm. out his grief to the Lord. Yeah. And not feel like he has to have it all together all the time. Yeah. You know, he he points to God, mm. but he pours out his heart. Yeah. 
And that's perfectly fine to do that because yeah. we all have days when it just seems like it's all overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but he's able to do that because it goes on and says, save me so I can praise you again. So mm. it's like, bring me, bring God into your crisis. Yeah. And then through that, come out the other side, God will strengthen you to come out the other side. And in the end, you'll get to that point where he's going to go on, you know, it goes from snatching him back from the jaws of death to seeing how the nations have dug a pit for themselves. So when we bring our troubles to God, there's a pattern here in David's Psalms. We bring our troubles to God and we pour them out. Sometimes, some of you, you know, you're a creative person, write them down or draw them or something, mm. but whatever it is, pour out your heart to God. The, the, the thing about that is it, it actually gives us, it, it touches our emotions with the emotional heart of God mm. and he can bring hope to us. He can bring, well, he can restore joy as it is in this case. He yeah. can restore joy to us so that we can push through and come out the other side of those crises that we're in. Mm. Yeah. Great. All right. That's uh, Psalm 9. Yeah. What's next? Psalm 15. Psalm 15. We're going yeah. ahead a few. All yeah. Right, no worries. Kick us off. Psalm 15. Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honours those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. A bribe against the a bribe? Bribe. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I was reading that. I was like, what? <laughs> um, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Mm. It's good. It's good. It's a, it's, it's a pretty good picture of a person you'd want to be around, isn't it? A hundred percent. It's a pretty moral, outstanding like, character. I, yeah, I so want to be that. Yes. But, ooh, I think I fall short sometimes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So does that mean <laughs> yeah. who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can come into God's presence? The one who does all these things? But, well, Lord, we don't. Yeah. Is that so, what you, you're yeah. thinking? Yeah. Okay. What do you think about that? How do you read it in light of that? Um, I... I understand it from the perspective of, of Jesus and the new covenant in, in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess I'm just um, interested in what kind of David was kind of referring to in that, sure. like where where he was going from or um, if there was anything in that particular time that would. Okay. So I guess what I'm hearing you say is, is it any different then to now? Mm. As in, okay, I want to go into God's presence, mm. the kind of person, because it's a reference to going into the sanctuary or this yeah. is a person who can come into where where God is, God is yeah. come, into, come blamelessly before the temple and come into God's presence. And we could liken it to coming into God in prayer or coming into church or whatever. Mm. And it's a picture of what's required morally yeah. in order to get in. Was it any different then? I, I don't think it ever has been any different. Mm. God's, uh, ever since the Garden of Eden, there has been, Humans have been morally corrupt. Yeah. We we have corruption which prevents us coming into God's presence. Mm. So the pattern here is, well, 
in order to really come into God's presence, we he God wants to dwell with people who are good representatives of him, who mm. who are morally upright, who do do all the things it says, not gossip and and not take bribes and just be a good model citizen. That's God's plan for humans, and yet we all fall short. I think the thing is when you said Jesus fulfills this, he absolutely does. Mm. So, you know, none of us will fill this. If, if any of us wanted to come to God's presence and this was our tick box list, yeah. we're going to fail. Yeah. And Jesus puts it this way. He says, you know, if you fail in one area, you fail in them all. Mm. He said, you know, you've Sermon on the Mount, You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say even lustful thinking is adultery. So Jesus raises the bar and yet Jesus still wants us to live that way. Mm. So I think the way I view this has changed over the years. I would read a scripture like this once upon a time and I would straight away go, well, I can't do that, but Jesus has done it for me. Mm. He's fulfilled that law. Now I can just come into God's presence. That's true, but I think that's partial truth. Yeah, I think where we miss it then is that we then think that we get a a free pass on on aspiring to live yeah. this way. Yeah. I don't need to live that way cuz I'm going to fail. Um so I can just accept Jesus. Well the apostle Paul talks about that in in Corinthians. He says people you some he says some of you are saying, well if God's grace abounds then I can just do whatever I want mm. cuz you know sin now forgive forget repent later. And Paul says not absolutely not. It's not mm. how you live. Yeah. Is it, the difference? I think the message of the gospel, as I've read it in more recent years, is I can't live this in myself. Christ has fulfilled this for me, and He has substituted Himself, and now He has given me His righteousness. Mm. And now in Him, I actually can live this way. I, yeah. in fact, I'm expected to live this way. Will I get it perfect? No, but I don't get a free pass on. Um, seeking to live a life like this. Mm. And, and we all know it. If we've got blackness in our heart, you know, if we're not serving the Lord um, or we are gossiping um, or speaking evil of people or we are doing um, things that are under, underhanded and shady, we know intuitively we can't show up in God's presence like that, mm. <laughs> can we? Because yeah. God's going to go and we're going to sense that. We're going to feel the conviction of the Spirit. So I think I read this as now through Christ, I'm empowered to live this way. And Lord, I want to, I want to come to you with a clean heart. Lord, I want to come into your presence and then leave your presence and be changed so that I'm the kind of person who doesn't cheat people out, doesn't gossip about people, doesn't slander people. Mm. And I believe we can do that through Christ's uh, death and resurrection. Yeah. And I, I really like the last line there. It says, um, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Yes. Um, and I like that you know, if we're trying to do those things and we're trying to be those people that Jesus calls us to be, we can stand firm in that and we can not be shaken. That's right. Even if we fail, um, it says a righteous person will fall down and get back up again. Seven times may fall down and get back up. And I think that's the thing is the not not being shaken doesn't mean we're perfect. Mm. We don't need to be perfect in that way, but we can get back up and have another go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. We'll not be shaken. Yeah, not discouraged. No. Yeah. Not, not I live with this right, sense of, so I'm just going to, I'm a hopeless, I'm yeah. a worm. There's no yeah. point. It's yeah. no, no, God has empowered us. And I've been doing some stuff for my masters around the different atonement theories for my mm. course. And one of the theories that they have, which um, is not always spoken about in Pentecostal churches is um, a theory that's called Christus Victor or Christ the Victor. And what it means is, is essentially that um, because Christ has defeated sin, he has empowered us to defeat sin. 
So we, that's how we can live this way because Christ has done it. And now he says, okay, over to you, Georgia. I'm going to give you what you need so that you can live right. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why you can stand firm mm. because you, you actually have what you need mm. to live a righteous life, a life that can come into God's presence. Yeah. Yeah. I love that little psalm. Mm. Anything Great. else you want to pull out? I uh, know. I think that's, yeah, that's great. All right. Where are we going now? Is it six, yeah, 16, 16? Straight after. Yep, straight after it. Just bopping away. Yeah, I get I get very intimate with this music because I listen to it. Quite <laughs> you listen often. to it all the time. <laughs> Kenny's always going. Doo, doo. He's always yeah. bopping away when he's sitting there too. No, it's great. It's all great. Right. Catchy <laughs> it tune, well. isn't it? Yep. Yeah, no, well, um, yeah. Psalm sixteen. Um, something that I have written here is um, this psalm reminds me of the trustworthiness of God. Oh yes. Um, and just yeah, that faithfulness and the um, it mentions like we we mentioned before in Psalm 15, the line that I will not be shaken again. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that just comes back to. And this sense here of verse 1 that he's our refuge, yeah. a place we can run to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he keeps us safe and he's yeah. trustworthy in that and that yeah. we can actually trust him with our hearts and, and yeah, I just think it's beautiful. Um, uh, should I read it through? Yeah, go. why not? Yeah, eh? why not? Let's not, do it. They're not long. Okay, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out liber- libations? Libations, yeah. Libations. Um, yeah. What, um, what is my version? What verse are you in? Just skipped ahead there. Uh, four. Uh, verse four. So it says in here, um, sacrifices of blood. But okay. it wasn't always blood. Sometimes it was water. It was just pouring out an offering yeah, okay. of some kind. Yep. Okay. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Mm. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will find me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You get the impression David was having a good day when he wrote this one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's is... one of those things with David. Some days he's in the dark, dark despair and he's running and everything's dark and yep. bleak. And then other times like this is like nothing can Yep, uh, he's touch having him. a good day. He's having a good day. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We all need We all need good days and we all have good days and we all have challenging days. I think that's yep. one of the beautiful things about David's Psalms is that we can it can reach us in all realms of our emotional well being or lack thereof. Yeah. yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. Um, something that I picked up on just then in verse six, it says the boundary lines have fallen oh, yeah. for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance, and that just that captured me that time when I read that. I just, yeah, I just, I just think that's a really beautiful image of 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 that. Mm. I was just wondering what your 
version. Yeah, but the land you have given me is a pleasant land, but that version is the the version I learned it in. Is that mm. where you're in the NIV there, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's the version I, I learned it in and often hear it quoted in. Mm. Um, it's a poetic way of saying, well, the land is pleasant, the, you know, the, the, the boundary of my world that you've given me is mm. a, is safe. Mm. It's beautiful. Mm. So I think um, it seems to be a, a literal metaphor, but it's mm. not supposed to be taken as only as literal land. Yeah. I mean, David was given, if you took it literally, David's land was the land of all of Israel that he was given with all yeah. the boundaries. And he might have been referring to that. He mm. could have been saying, look, the land you've given me is peaceful. Mm. Uh, you know, there's shalom in this land. It could have been that. But, you know, not everyone owns land today, you know. Mm. Some people do, some people don't. So I don't think it's so a much literal. A, a literal thing as mm. just the, the boundaries of my world, the mm. world that I inhabit, the mm. people I interact with, the things I have. It's pleasant, mm. you know. That's the picture, which is challenging because it, it doesn't always feel that way. Yeah. You know, sometimes it feels – and there'll be other times where David will say, like, like the previous psalm, he's saying like literally that this – it's like interesting they put the Psalms together because yeah. in, the, in the previous one, he's saying that they're out to get him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the, the uh, verse Psalm 9 or the previous one where he said they're out, literally out to get him, his enemies. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a pleasant, pleasant yeah. land, does it? Yeah. So I think it's just more uh, an acknowledgement that sometimes you'll feel like that and sometimes you mm. won't. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. The thought. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Did you get anything else out of there? Um, I think, like you said, it's just a really lovely, mm. yeah, lovely picture of, of God's trustworthiness yeah. and his safety and, mm. and yeah, the refuge piece. Um, and incidentally, at the end here in verse 10, oh, yeah, I mentioned this in the break in between just briefly. Mm. So this these words at the end, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow my holy one to, to your holy one to rot in the grave. Um, Peter picks up on this on the day of uh, Pentecost. He quotes this and he actually quotes it about Jesus. He says, when David says, you will not leave my soul among the dead or you or your holy one to rot in the grave. If you didn't know the Old Testament, the New Testament, you would think David was speaking about himself. It yeah. seems like he's just said how beautiful God's been to him. He's saying, look, you're not going to leave my soul dead. You're going to resurrect me. You won't let my flesh decay, my, mm. my, the Holy One won't decay, talking about himself. Then Peter questions this in Acts chapter 2 and he says, do you think David was talking about himself? He says, no, no, David's tomb's over there. He's still in the grave. Yeah. He wasn't talking about him. He was talking about Jesus. When mm. he, so, so Peter sees this psalm prophetically mm. about Jesus. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I, sometimes I, I, I look at some of these Old Testament passages that the New Testament writers refer to Jesus and I go, that's a stretch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always – some of them are really obvious and some of them yeah. are more of a stretch. But they had no problems with that. Mm. They saw all the scripture through mm. a through a lens of pointing to Jesus. Yeah. And so he picks it up and goes, well, Jesus didn't rot in the grave because he was he rose again three days later. He didn't decay. So that's – they see – Peter saw that as this is a prophetic scripture. Yeah. This is a messianic psalm. And yet mm. – you know, if you didn't have Acts chapter 2, I wouldn't read it that way. Mm. So that's just, um, you know, an interesting thought to be aware of as you read the Old Testament. You're looking for Jesus in very obscure places sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and you just wonder, um, particularly as, as David is writing this, like does he have a, 
have an idea. Does like, he have an it, understanding it, of, yeah. Is it his, like, prophetic? Does he know that? Yeah. Or, you know, well, you, I don't get the, the impression wondrous. in this one that no. he does, no. you know, um, whether he was seeing something prophetically about Jesus or not. I, mm. At first glance, it doesn't seem like that's how it's written. It's more about him, isn't it? It's more, yeah. more about his relationship with God and what God's done for him. Yeah. And yet Peter has no problems with that. Mm. So I, I'm not, it's a bit of a wait what. It's mm. like, I'm not, I'm just saying, I'm letting that hang out there. Yeah. Um, that that even though this actually falls within falls outside the guidelines of how I would encourage people to read scripture. Yeah, yeah. Because the risk is, if you take that much license, um, we are we are capable of making the Bible say whatever we want it to say. hundred percent. We end up with all kinds of heresy, but yet, I'm while I say be careful about interpreting uh, interpreting too liberally. Mm. I think that's a pretty liberal interpretation. And mm. Paul does it also. The Apostle mm. Paul also takes Old Testament scriptures and somehow makes sees Christ in them in ways that wouldn't fit within my Bible college training. Let's yeah, put it yeah. that way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm just more careful about it because I'm not the Apostle Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Peter. Yeah. So fair. <laughs> All right. Well, we're finished in the Old Testament. That's it. Like record time. Come on. All right. But mind you, we've got to go into the Christmas stories now. And, so yeah, Luke um, is going <laughs> to. Luke, we've got three chapters in Luke that um, are all Christmas, all, you know, birth of Jesus narrative. So we won't be able to unpack them completely. We'll be yeah, here. 100%. We'll be here till midnight. Literally. All right. Let's head to the New Testament. Hello, everybody, again. Welcome back. We're in Luke now, um, going on to, yeah, the Christmas story starting in Luke 1. Um, And we're going to look a little bit of, um, yeah, the birth of John the Baptist and into Mary um, and just kind of the circumstances that kind of surrounds those two stories and where they intersect. Yep, that's right. I think we'll assume that if you haven't read it, yeah, you go can go it. and read it, but yeah. you know if you've been to enough Christmas services, you've probably seen the nativity plays. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent with the babies. Uh, like on Sunday, I, I wasn't at through on Sunday, but Melanie told me that uh, we had uh, Hugo riding on a cow on a cow. Yeah, yeah. Because he forgot to bring the donkey on stage, so he just jumped on the cow. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was it was quite the sight. I remember beautiful. my oldest daughter riding on the back of. What, another boy, young boy, when they were about four, and uh, she was riding on his back. He was the donkey, and she was Mary. So well, it's <laughs> always, amazing. yeah, it's always funny nativity story. So you know the nativity story, but we're going to talk about John the Baptist first of all before we get to the nativity, aren't we? So yeah, yeah. All right, where would you like to go with that? So um, if we start, um, so an angel. Uh, I can't get it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, verse eight, is it? Were you there? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, with Zachariah, an angel appears to him, and mm-hmm. and Zachariah um, gets a vision mm-hmm. um, about uh, yeah about um, his wife Elizabeth becoming pregnant with with their child, um, and yeah, and I guess my uh, and then afterwards um, he doesn't allowed to speak. Like yeah, he, his voice is taken away from yes, him. Yes, he loses his voice. Yeah, and I guess my question around that is just in terms of why would that happen? Why, why? would he not lose his voice? Yeah, if, why would he lose his voice? Yeah, because why is a like the promise of God is yeah. happening and, and they're so excited about it. Elizabeth yeah. would be overjoyed 
so would Zachariah, yeah. but he loses well, his ability I think to share it. There's always a clue in the text. So mm. these sorts of questions are like, I guarantee we'll, we'll Google it and we'll find that scholars have debated, people have written PhDs 100%. on why <laughs> he lost his voice and there'll be all kinds of reasons. Um, but at elementary level, if you get a question like that, before you go anywhere, go to the mm. text itself. Mm. So what verse are we looking at? Uh, okay, so verse 18, yeah. angel gives him this word. Zechariah says, how can this be? How can I be mm. sure that this will happen? I'm old. Yeah. My wife is well along in years, which is a polite way of saying she's old too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the angel said, look, I'm Gabriel and I stand in the very presence of God. I was once sent to bring this good news, but now since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent. So there's mm. a direct link. His mm. silence is directly linked to his lack of faith. Mm. Okay. So he doesn't believe an angelic visitation. Yeah. And so the we have to at least see that there's a. It's part of the consequence mm. um, that it carries because he didn't trust God. Now, in this instance, it's not going to be forever, and God's going to redeem that. But I think we have to look at it and see that it. Um, it's definitely linked to some response to a lack of faith. Mm. God says, "Okay, you," and and I have. This is what I've heard taught about before. The only other time where this I can think of where silence is demanded is when God says to the people of Jericho, go round the walls for seven yeah. days and don't say a word. <laughs> Just yeah. march in silence. Now, theologians think part of the reason God was telling them to march in silence was because he knows how quickly we humans default to negative talk. Mm. And so you can imagine they're walking around the walls of Jericho. Oh, I don't know why we're bothered doing this. Can't believe Joshua was making us do this again. Mm. Oh, I'd rather be home watching the football, but here I am. And that negative talk mm. um, is not a, an environment where faith can can um, be cultivated. And that is exactly and, what Zachariah and that's is what doing. Zachariah, He's so saying, I think, but hang yeah, on, but you hang can't on. do that. So if he goes home and he says, what happened? He goes, well, you know, I had this vision, but I'm not so sure. Mm. And he's not creating an atmosphere of mm. faith. So God is so determined he's going to get his will that he's going to make sure that <laughs> Zachariah can't be negative. Yeah. So I think there's there's an element of that. Of course, the story goes on and John is born and and then they want to name him after Zachariah and he says, no, his name is John. And, and that's the moment, moment at which his voice yeah. comes back again. Um, also, I think there's a link here between, there's a contrast, a bit of creative writing. There's a contrast here mm. between uh, Zachariah and Mary. We're going to go on and talk mm. about Mary in a minute because yeah. Mary's the superhero in this story. Now, we Protestants and um, uh, we don't always give Mary her due mm. Mm. and I understand why. Because I think part of that comes from the fact that we would say, well, the Catholic Church have elevated Mary to this divine status. Yeah, when when I was in Rome, oh my gosh. Oh yeah, I Mary. Was, yeah, exactly. We've seen it everywhere. Gobsmacked. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. Well, Mary's the mother of God. So there's yeah. this whole theology which is outside the Bible, which is centered around, well, if Jesus was sinless, therefore Mary had to be sinless, and mm. Mary, you know, Mary never sinned. Perpetual virginity of Mary. The list goes on and on and on. Mm. Along comes the Protestant Reformation, and they realize that a lot of that is way beyond the confines of mm. what the Scriptures say. So they dial all that back. But as is the human nature, oftentimes we swing the pendulum too far the other way. And poor old Mary gets a bad rap mm. when she's never done in. She's a superhero. That's how yeah. I look at it. I mean, she's an amazing young girl mm. to go through what she went through, um, to receive that promise. And you would expect if you line Mary up and Zechariah up beside each other and mm. say, which of you two is going to be the one that's most likely to have the wisdom and the experience to be able to handle an angelic visitation, you'd pick Zek. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's not Zek. No. <laughs> it's Mary, this young girl. She yeah. uh, She's a superhero. 
yeah, yeah. whose life is literally cha- like completely changing. turned upside down. Yeah, and and yeah, and as we back to what we were saying when we were talking about the Psalms in that in that using that despite language and that joy that she has in in the song that that she sings and, yes. and it's beautiful and just so full of joy and yeah and just beauty yeah and then you contrast that with her circumstances and and what's going on and yeah internally she's joyous and she's excited but well from what we can well she we writes tell, this beautiful yeah. magnificat song yeah. of praise mm. after she meets with Elizabeth mm. and yet the circumstances on the outside Haven't are going to be anything <laughs> but uh, a reason for joy. Yeah, she's going. She's she's pregnant out of wedlock. She is a young girl. She has. Um, she's going to have all this suspicion around her. Mm-hmm. She's got all these reasons not to feel secure and yeah. safe. Yeah, and yet she responds to in faith to God's promise. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, 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 and that courage to just say yes and to. And to walk that journey, and yeah, um, yeah, she, I think. But she said, "I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said." What a mm. powerful mm. line that um, that we could we could say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's the it's almost that. Um, dare I say the first example of laying your life down for oh, Jesus? Sure, it's beautiful. The, uh, yes, mm. the first example of mm. laying your life down for Jesus. That'll mm. preach. Because Mary, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. She does. She's giving up a lot. Mm. Um, and she's laying it down and she's saying, I am your servant. Yeah, beautiful. And I will do what, yeah, what oh, you have so for me. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And she has this, um, she has this really special relationship with Elizabeth, who's, you mm. know, a lot older than her, probably mm. a, a cousin or a second cousin or something like that. But yeah, she has this beautiful relationship. You were saying in the break, you know, yeah, yeah, that strikes yeah. you, that relationship, that yeah, closeness that, of that Yeah, the closeness and, and the, yeah, the joy that, um, yeah, when it says in uh, verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month for no word of God will ever fail. And I think like I could just imagine Mary hearing that and being like, oh, my gosh, yes. like my friend, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, my, you know, yeah. like you said, distant cousin distant, or yeah, whatever. It is. Whoever. Think, yeah, whatever. It's some kind of yeah, family relationship. Yeah, and then, there, and yeah. then they, they run together and, and they, you know, they, they – hear each other's stories, and then their babies literally leap in their womb. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, and that's just, yeah, leap for joy, which is really beautiful um, image of just, yeah, two women coming together and yeah. just being excited about the possibilities once again despite the circumstances. Yeah, and both miraculous conceptions yeah. in their own way. Obviously yeah. Mary's to another degree, but mm. Elizabeth was way past the age of childbearing. So, yeah, so yeah there's, there's a supernatural component mm. there. And yet, they, these two women are bonded together in this um, yeah. unique trust of God. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And of course, John the Baptist and Jesus will, you know, continue that relationship. Yeah, yeah. As cousins later on too. Yeah, and and similar. Um, when you spoke about the contrast between um, Zachariah and Mary, and the fact that one of the first things that that Zachariah does when he first gets his voice back is the song he sings too, yeah yeah yes. so that's yeah that's i haven't noticed that before yeah he, he yeah. sings as well yeah. yeah and singing is one of these unique or special things um i've said this a few times which is actually really probably worth mentioning here in this context mm. so we think we're talking about advent series and we sing lots of songs like hark the herald angels sing yeah did you know that they don't huh. you actually don't find any reference in the new testament 
in the original language to angels singing. I'm going to send you a little quest. Yeah, <laughs> I wow. Trying to say this to people. They go away. Oh, yes, they like, do. Yes, sure. Gives a whole new meaning to the, you've got the voice of an angel, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> they don't. But there's no reference. The angels oh. shout and declare and mm. praise and speak and mm. say. There's no reference to them singing. There's, a, there's one reference that kind of alludes to but it's all of creation together. Um, but there's no reference in the New Testament specifically to this whole idea of angels singing. So even mm. in the traditional narratives, when the heavenly choir comes to the shepherds, mm. there's no, you, I think we're going to do that chapter, aren't we? I think we, you'll probably see it in a minute in the next chapter. There's no singing. So, and it's almost as though um, singing is something that is re, is reserved for the redeemed. It's something that humans do in a response to um, our joy and amazement at what God has done for us. And so you'll often see these songs come up. Mi- um, Miriam sings a song after they go through the Exodus. Moses yeah. sings a song. Zechariah sings a song. Mary sings a song. There's, this is mm. a very common motif in the Bible that we sing out of gratitude for what God has done for mm. us. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So I just thought I'd throw that in there for yeah, free, no, that one. it's good. Oh, for free? <laughs> <laughs> for free. Yeah, that's right. All right. I'm sure I'll have a whole lot of people comment going, oh, yeah, I found where angels sing. And yeah, go, yeah. Go and do your homework. Go and do your homework. <laughs> All right. Anything else there? Or we go to chapter two? Yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Where do you want to go in chapter two, the birth of Jesus? Yeah, so good. Um, something that you just pointed out that I think is funny is the fact that it does say um, heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying. Saying glory to God <laughs> in the highest, verse 13. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, that yeah was you just would have really read funny. that and just gone and you would have read over it. Mm. And just gone, you wouldn't have picked up the word saying, you no. would have automatically thought, oh, yeah, they sing yeah, because singing. Park the Herald Angels sing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah so that's just an example of it right there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, and also um, something we just wanted to highlight um, was the idea of, of the shepherds and the mm-hmm. way that, um, yeah, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and, and said, do not be afraid in, um, sorry, in verse 8. No, verse 10, sorry. It says, do not be afraid. I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And there's probably like two questions in that. The first question is, what would the shepherds be thinking? Like, Yeah. 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 And also, and I guess that leads to the second question of why the shepherds. And Ah, I wonder if... The, the shepherds are also asking, why are you coming to why us? Why us, yes. Yeah. Your like, shepherds are, are, are way down on the social rank. Mm. Uh, these guys would have been regarded as the bottom of the working class. Yeah. So they had jobs. They weren't unemployed, but they yeah. were they were way down. A lot of them were – there might have been a, um, a head shepherd who – this is she, This is the um, area around Bethlehem. So uh, what happened is a lot of the sheep in this area were often – the sheep that were used in the temple sacrifice. So they'd be raised by shepherds, but then they would be taken to Jerusalem. It's just five kilometers away mm. for the temple sacrifice. So that's a particular shepherd um, job they had, which basically meant they were working class, ordinary people. And I think that part of the intention of this, this narrative in Luke is to show the level of God stepping down mm. 
into creation. He wasn't born in a palace. And literally mm. where these guys are, it's a, it's less than – you've got Jerusalem 5Ks up the road. Less than 2Ks away, you've got Herod's palace. Yeah. And uh, Herod, who's the king, you know, a very rich and wealthy, wealthy person. And it's like God is, is going to say, hey, I'm not going to go to the rich and famous. Mm. I'm going to go to the ordinary. Uh, it's, it's part of God's identifying with the ordinary. Mm. It begins here – with this, it continues with Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and ordinary people. The the Hebrew word is amharetz, just the ordinary people. Mm. And um, that's the heart of God. Yeah. I think that's why he comes to shepherds, just ordinary, everyday people. He doesn't try to, you know, if you're going to send a message, you'd normally go to the wealthy. You'd go to those in the palaces who had the ability to proclaim the message. Because the average shepherd shows up and uh, they're going to go, you know, why should we trust you? You're just an yeah. ordinary shepherd. You've got nothing to add. And yet God's going to do his, um, he's going to bring about his plan even through the lowliest of the low. Mm. Yeah. I think that's part of this whole story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. It's a really, um, just seeing the way that, that God is so intentional with, with the story yes. and just the little ways that he does those things. Like you said, he could just go to the rich and, and yeah. famous and of the time and just be like, yeah. In fact, it's not in Luke's gospel, it's in Matthew's gospel, but the mm. only rich people that show up at the scene mm. are the Magi who haven't even come from Israel. But the yeah. rich in Israel, they're out. Of, they're left out yeah. of it. Yeah, they have yeah. no idea. <laughs> no, they have no idea because they aren't going to receive him. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, God's in the business of stooping. And Mary says it in the Magnificat um, chapter before. She says something to, to about the lowliness, how the Lord has brought down it says, um, verse 52 of chapter 1 in the Magnificat, she says, He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good mm. things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped the, his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. So that's that's exactly what we're seeing here. God's yeah. stooping down into the mess and mm. lifting up the poor and the vulnerable. Yeah. It's the heart of God. Yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That's good. That's a good reminder. <laughs> um. Something else I think worth looking at and highlighting and maybe asking a few questions around um, is Jesus um, is presented in the temple and it goes through a bit of the scripture there. Once again, we assume that you'll read through it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it comes to um, around verse 48 or let's go from 46. Um, It says, after three days they found him in the temple courts. So, So Joseph and Mary were what I assume being... Uh, very anxious parents trying yes, to find their son. Trying to find, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you're a parent out there, you'll yep. probably... <laughs> yeah, I lost my Jeremiah for 40 minutes one time and it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can imagine. Yep. I can imagine. Um, and it says after three days, mm. they found him in the temple courts. Like three yeah. days. Like that's a long yeah. time to be looking for yeah. your child, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So what would have happened with the three days is they were traveling back home to Galilee. Mm. So they would have yes. been a day on the road. Mm. And they would have assumed that he was traveling. They were all mm. traveling as a family. Gets to the end. Gets to the end of the day. Anyone seen Jesus? No. <laughs> Could you just you seen Jesus? No. Oh, no. We've lost the... It's like home alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like home alone. Exactly. They would turn around and it would have been a day's journey back. And then a whole day yeah. looking around Jerusalem before they found him. There's your, there's your three days. Yeah, that's... The story. I remember Nikki Gumbel telling a story years ago of, um, of uh, you know, how... You feel bad as a parent, but Jesus lost, uh, Mary lost God, yeah, so yeah. don't feel too bad. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Mary That's lost so God. <laughs> um, and then it goes on to say um, in verse 47, 
Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Mm. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus's response is, why were you searching for me? <laughs> Which is a strange response, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Well, I, mind I, you, my Jeremiah was about seven at the time and he was just, we were in a fun park and he was just sitting watching the slide or the jumping castle yeah. or something. So turned around and said, what's the problem, Dad? Yeah, why, why were you worried? <laughs> like, why are you searching for me? Yeah, that's right. Did you know that Didn't I had to be here? in the Father's house? Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, it's just such a beautiful image of going. And I love the way that Jesus asks almost questions back at us and yes. the way that throughout the whole of the Gospels, Jesus is constantly yeah, confronting us with questions. Oh, like, yes, he oh. is. Good point, Georgia. Jesus <laughs> asks a lot more questions and answers 100%. that he gives. And that's oh, yes. just the curiosity of, yeah. and it spurs us on. And yeah. And I, I, that's right. He even beginning to ask questions mm. of them in yeah. this moment. Yeah. Uh, Luke goes on and says, look, he, you know, obviously went home and he was obedient because he realizes it yeah. could have seemed to be not obedient. But what I love about it is that to me, and Luke's the only one who shows this story. Um, it's the only insight we have anywhere from his birth to mm. basically the beginning of his ministry. It's this little snippet of a story mm. here. And um, what I love about it is it shows me that Jesus is developing his understanding of who he is over time. Mm. He yeah. doesn't. It's not like he's born with his innate knowledge of I'm God. In fact, Philippians 2 tells us he left all that behind. So yeah. he had to develop his own relationship with his father. And this is like a little snippet as if he's starting to get it. Oh, this is not just God is my intimate father I am, you know, he's mm. starting to figure out who he is in relation to that yeah. and that this is where he belongs in the temple. Mm. And I love it. He's actually sitting there answering and asking questions. Yeah, They're amazed by his answers, but he's there asking, asking questions. questions. Yeah. Even Jesus is asking them questions. And yeah. some of those questions probably quite confronting for some of those priests. I'm sure mm. he was, like you said, he was asking questions that maybe they didn't have the answer to either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's always asking questions of us. Mm. What questions is Jesus asking of you this Christmas? Boom, that'll Mm. be a good thought. Mm. So one other thing I want to add in before we move on to chapter 3, which I saw this on a a feed this morning um, on my YouVersion Bible app from Marty Solomon, Mm. who um, I recommend. Marty Solomon has a great podcast called The Bema Podcast, B-E-M-A. He's a Jewish Messianic Christian, and this guy from the YouVersion was just interviewing him, and he was talking about, when did Christmas really happen? What time of year did the Christmas story happen? Mm. And um, he actually, I'd forgotten that he'd said this in his Bamer podcast, but if you're going to listen to Bamer podcast, listen to ours first, but then go, <laughs> then go back and uh, start with, start. don't listen to up to dates. It really, it's best to start right at the beginning of series, series one, right back at the beginning. And he unpacks the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And so he pulled out in this interview this morning, a couple of things that tell us that very likely the birth of Jesus took place around September, October. It's around the Feast of Tabernacles, which is one of the Jewish feasts. And the reason he gives is he says, there's one that I'd never heard before, is he says in verse 8 of chapter 2, he said, that night there were shepherds and they had their sheep in the fields. And he said, uh, sheep did not go into the fields at any other time in the year except immediately following the harvest. Normally the sheep are up on the mountains. But after they've harvested, what they would do is they would bring the sheep into the fields to eat the leftovers and do their business and refertilize the soil in preparation for the next crop. So they would just spend a very short, a week or so in the fields. So that narrows it down to this period of time following the harvest. And then the other thing he said was when um, 
when the angels say glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, mm. that is actually something that the priests said in the Feast of Tabernacles, mm. um, which is commemorative of when the Feast of Tabernacles is a feast that commemorates when Israel came out of Egypt and went through the Exodus and into the desert. And so the Feast of Tabernacles every year they would um, create roofs, fake, they would live outside under these roofs with holes in them to remind them of that time. It was a great time of joy. The Feast of the feast of because it's linked to harvest, mm. so it's a time of joy. You know, the, well, the vats are full, the the grain is in the barn, so there's great joy of God's provision, and it's in that time that Jesus is provided. The harvest has mm. really come. I really loved that, and yeah. I thought that's um that's a the, as clear an example as I've ever heard theologically for why it's probably around the September October time. Also, too, it couldn't have been. Uh, December because it's it's very very cold yeah. in Jerusalem in December. You wouldn't necessarily want your sheep out on the hills in the cold. You'd have them stored away in the pens. Mm. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's, there you go. Yeah, that's really fascinating yeah, so because yeah, I've heard I've heard you know the September October yeah. stuff before, but I'm but like well, not with that. No, yeah, I I, I remember when he said it. I went, oh yeah, I remember hearing mm. that a couple of years ago when I listened mm. to the podcast, but it hadn't stuck in my head until I heard mm. it again. So yeah, there it is. Some interesting clues even within Luke 2 text about yeah. the time of Jesus. But of course that doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate it anytime. No. You know, <laughs> no, nothing wrong day. with celebrating <laughs> it on December 25. That's totally fine. All right. That's uh, Luke 2. Now we've got uh, Luke 3. Is that yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, on to Luke chapter 3. In this chapter, it kind of follows um, the ministry of John the Baptist and preparing the way. So we've gone from Jesus at 12 to Jesus at 30. We've just skipped ahead like like 28 years and whatever it is, 18 18 years. Yeah, John's John's out there doing his thing. um, It says in verse 3 that he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Um, another question is, what is a baptism of repentance? Ah, repentance, yeah. yeah. Well, more distinctly, what 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 kind of baptism was John doing? Yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah. in our minds, we kind of go, baptism of John, exactly the same baptism that we have as Pentecostals, as Baptists, mm. we believe in that same thing. Is mm. it the same? Is it not? I think it's, um, I think it's important to realize that the baptism that we have as Christians has aspects of that baptism in it, but it's not exactly the same. Mm. And baptism itself was not a was not an uncommon practice mm. in that time. So a baptism of repentance um, was it was a way of symbolizing a a turning away from one way of life. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm basically putting aside my choice. Repent means to turn around and go the other way. Yeah. So. There's lots of links with John's baptism. First thing I'll say is that the practice, um, which was called the ritual mikvah, which is um, a bath mm-hmm. that uh, people went through, and there was, there's all these at the, the bottom of the temple. And before they went up on the temple, they would have these, they would go into these baths, and it was a ritual thing. It wasn't about cleaning physically, but it was symbolizing a spiritual cleaning. Mm. And they actually walked down one side of this stairs into this bath, immersed themselves in this bath, and then they come up the stairs on the other side. There's just a little barrier between, mm. but it was symbolic of I'm going down, I'm being washed, and I'm coming up clean. Um, so that And that was a very pro- common practice. The um, 
in the desert where John the Baptist came from, and it, very likely he was originally one of these these group. There was a sect that lived in the desert called the Essenes, which were super, super ritual. They were the mm. ones who gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls. They meticulously wrote out the Dead Sea <laughs> Scrolls. They were super ritual. And what they would do is they would actually like write every every time they wrote a line and they got to, every time they were writing out the text of the Old Testament and they got to Yahweh's name, they would write out his, before they write out his name, they would go and have a ritual mikvah and come back and write it out. They were mm. that meticulous about this bathing thing. So John the Baptist has probably been um, around these guys. And so he now is calling Israel back to God. And he went to the Jordan mm. and and brought two practices together. So first of all, he's got this ritual cleaning thing happening with his baptism. But secondly, when he, when he goes to the Jordan River, you're supposed to see him calling Israel back to its original plan when it crossed the Jordan River to come into the promised land under Joshua in all the way back 1400 years before this, he's like calling them back to the place where they were first a nation and saying, will you recommit to God again? Come away from your way of life, go through this ritual repentance, turn away from that and come into a new life. So there's all these metaphors all being mixed together there. Mm. So that's what baptism of repentance was. It was a mm. practice of going, I'm starting all over. Yeah, I'm starting again. And that was the meaning that they would have been getting out of it at the time. It's a mm. new beginning. Mm. And we carry that into the New Testament. The Apostle mm. Paul has that elsewhere. Yeah. In the, but that's where it comes from. This mm. whole thing of the old has gone, the new has come, I'm starting over. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that leads on on to um, a little bit later in the chapter, it actually goes into the baptism of Jesus. Mm. And um, something I love about um, this particular section is it, um, a couple of years ago I heard um, kind of the phrase that in this situation Jesus hasn't done anything in his ministry yet. He's just starting out. Yes. And yet he's accepted and loved by God. Uh, and, brilliant. And he's living from that acceptance yeah. and his ministry comes from that acceptance, not I have to earn this. He has, he, he, God's saying he's pleased with him before he's mm, done anything. Yeah, he's not oh, done. that's brilliant. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, that's that's lovely. However, yes. my like the question that kind of brings up from that is that you said that baptism of repentance is because uh, yes. So why did Jesus need to go through it if yeah. he hadn't need he need to repent of anything? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Mm. So Jesus is he's the only one who doesn't need to go through the baptism. Yeah. And even <laughs> and, and that's the question that um that John the Baptist says to him. Uh when Jesus comes to him, uh, verse 21, one day the crowds were being baptized. Jesus came to be baptized and as he was praying uh, no, it's not in this version. Okay, so it's not in this version. must be in Matthew's version. Yeah. Because um, John the Baptist actually says, hang on, Jesus, I need to be baptized by yes. you. Why yeah. do you come to me? And so the answer will be found in, I think it's Matthew. It might be in John's. But anyway, the, the answer is Jesus says, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. So um, I'm going to have a look at what ChatGP tells me about that. Yeah, so I think ChatGPT is saying that what is going on here is probably when he says to fulfill all righteousness, he's Jesus in order to be our example or not to be an example, just an example, but be our representative, to be mm. our substitution. He has to identify with humanity. So if humanity is having to go through this process of identification and re-identification with God through repentance, even though Jesus doesn't need to, he says, let it be this way to fulfill all righteousness in order to, to so that I can fully identify mm. 
with you humans. So it was a slightly different thing. It's definitely not repentance. It's identification in Jesus' case. I think that's mm. probably the, the clearest way to sum it up. That's why he needed to be baptized. Technically, he didn't need to for his sin, mm. but he needed to in order to be able to identify with us. Yeah. That'll work anyway. Mm. No, that's good. Let's go with that. Good. All right. Yeah. I think um, my own, like my last question in this, it goes um, straight from that into um, kind of outlining the genealogy of yep. Jesus and why. Why? Okay. <laughs> why is that? <laughs> there's um, there's four gospels and mm-hmm. there's three genealogies. Mm, exactly. <laughs> so there's there's Matthew's genealogy, Luke's genealogy, and the other one is more hidden. The other mm. one is actually John chapter one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's actually a genealogy. It's just mm. an eter- it's the genealogy of the eternal son of God. Mm. Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel both have genealogies in them. Matthew starts with one mm. uh, right at the beginning. Uh, and Luke has one as well here in chapter three. Now they have lots of the same names, but they have some significant differences. Mm. Okay. And these are important because these are setting up the, the, the reason they're different is important and the way they are set out is important. So uh, Matthew's gospel, let me let me just go take you there. Mm. You, you can just I want to see whether or not you notice anything here. So Matthew's gospel starts with this. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and a descendant of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and it's going to start with Abraham. It's going to go all the way through to David. It's going to go all the way through to Jesus, okay, Mm. in that order. Abraham through to David through to Jesus. Now, go back to Luke chapter 3. Where does it start? Where does the genealogy start? In verse 23, yep. Yeah, it starts from the opposite way. It starts the opposite. Yeah. So this genealogy reverses Mm. back up the genealogical Mm. line rather than comes down. So there's the first significant Mm. difference, okay. Um, Matthew's gospel started with Abraham, so where would you expect Luke's gospel to end? Abraham. Does it end with Abraham? No. No. It We're goes much further. Much further back. <laughs> yeah, all the way to back. Adam. And okay. So there's the, the two significant differences. They're going in opposite mm. directions and one's going, starting with Abraham, one's going to go back to Adam. So mm. here's the general consensus on why. Matthew was writing to Jews. Mm. And so he starts his gospel with, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David. They were looking for a Jewish Messiah. So he, he, he identifies them through his Jewish line. Mm. Jesus, uh, Luke is writing to Gentiles and he's, his whole message is that Jesus isn't just the Jewish Messiah. He's the king of the world. He's the king for all humans. Yeah. And so he wants to identify Jesus. Yes, he wants to identify him through his Jewish line, but he doesn't stop there. He wants to go all the way back to Adam as if to say, you know, all humanity is encompassed in this son yeah. of God. So there's there's the reasoning why he does that. He sets out to kind of show that Jesus fulfills, that he's the Messiah for all of us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and in particular, um, something that I know and have read about is um, like the importance of, of the Old Testament and the scripture and, and Jewish, like people knew it, like yes. knew it so well. And so for them to be seeing this and to read names go, oh, yes, I know that, I know that, I know that, and to, for them to follow that story for themselves yeah, exactly. and go, I I can see this. I can see this story and mm. Jesus fits into this story and I fit into this story. Yeah, yeah, and that's therefore, right. yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's exactly right, yeah. Mm. So that's why the genealogy is written mm. the way it is there. 
Oh. It just seems like a whole lot of names. Yeah. But, um, you know, so <laughs> and so, we've got so and so, we've got so and so. Yeah, and lots of people do. But, you know, if you once you get to know some of your Old Testament stories, mm. you can actually get a bit, because I read those now. There's a whole bunch of names I don't really, well, there's a lot in there that aren't even mentioned in the mm. Bible, but uh, but there are also a lot that are. So yeah. it gives some some context to it. And a lot of them meant, meant um, you know, meant stuff to people. Definitely. Yeah, all right, that's Luke 3. That's going to so end there. We're going to go to Hebrews now. Yes, we are. Two to go, hey? Woo! So jumping into Hebrews now, switching gears a little bit. Um, we'll start straight off with uh, chapter 1. Um, and Ro and I were just having a little bit of a brief conversation around um, kind of the purpose and, and context of Hebrews and, mm. and why it was written. It's quite a confusing book yeah. for most of us. Yeah. It's steeped in Jewish um, Jewish ritual and things mm. like that. And if you don't have an understanding of that, it's the sort of book you just go, oh, what does it even mean? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, we were just discussing around um, the concept of it's, it's reminding um, the Jewish people of the time not to not to turn back to the ways that they're that they're comfortable with yes. and they're used to it just yeah. because they don't quite understand or see what what the path is kind of mm. before them and um yeah I just love in the beginning it 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 spoke it I'll read the first part of it it says in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom all he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And I, I think that's, um, it's almost funny. Like it's like justifying the fact that, you know, Jesus is the way, like yeah. Jesus is, you know, is it. And, you know, they come up with all these examples throughout Hebrews to say, you know, Jesus is the answer. Yeah, he's, the, is, he's the fulfillment of yeah. everything you have hopes, dreams. That's right. Yeah, and it's a good, yeah. It's, it's the kind of narrative that the book of Hebrews is doing. So the context mm. is this. In the early stages of the Christian faith, mm. it was pretty much seen as a, another stream of Jewish faith. Yeah. Now, the Jews had special dispensation. The only The only nationality in the Roman religion, in the Roman Empire, that were allowed to practice their own faith. No other religion was allowed to do it because the Jews were basically a thorn in Caesar's side, mm. and it wasn't. He decided it was easier just to let them do their thing, so they were allowed to practice their faith. But as time went on, the Jews started to want to distance themselves from the Christians, mm. and so the Christians were now starting to come under persecution. They escaped mm. it for a while. They were allowed to not keep. They were allowed to keep Sabbath and do all those things because the Jews were allowed to do it. But now the Romans are starting to see this and the Jews are saying, they're not us. And so the Jews now and the Christians now are opening themselves up to persecution. Mm. And therefore, because persecution's coming, they're thinking, is this really worth it? Maybe. You know, maybe we just go back to how we were. Maybe yeah. we can take Jesus and put him back in, the, in mm. his box and go back. Mm. And that's why it's written to say, no, 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 you can't, no turning back. Mm. <laughs> I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, as the song says. Yeah. Yes, yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah it's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and it goes on um, further in the chapter just to uh, kind of outline how um, Jesus is superior to angels and, yes. it, and it goes through um, different bits of Scripture from different parts of the Old Testament. Oh, lots of Old Testament yeah. quotes in here. Yeah. One of the funny things about the, the writer to the Hebrews is 
uh, we don't know who it was. We don't mm. know who was writing it. But he makes, he or she, whoever it is, <laughs> makes no effort to even quote the book. That it, often, it often says things like, it's written somewhere in the Old Testament this and <laughs> oh, somewhere else it says this. They don't even yeah. worry about where yeah. <laughs> he's quoting. Paul, and I guess it's relying on the fact on that the Jews th- will know. Their knowledge, that's yeah. right. The, this is writing to a bunch of Jews. This wasn't mm. written to Gentiles. It's called mm. Hebrews for a reason. It was mm. written to people who really knew their Old mm. Testament. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, I cut you off there. You were talking about the all the scriptures being quoted all over. Yeah, the Old yeah. Testament. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, yeah, just coming back to that, knowing that, um, yeah, the Jewish people would know where they're coming from and, mm. and it all aligns into that. And then um, at the last section of it, asks the question of, uh, in verse 14, it says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Mm. Um, and that's really interesting to think that, just the the language piece there where it says sent to serve those who will inherit salvation, I think. Yeah, that's a really interesting... Interesting way to put it. Yeah. So uh, at the time of the New Testament in the first century, the Jews had developed a very extensive uh, angelology, a mm. doctrine of mm. angels, um, which is much more extensive than what we as Protestant, Evangelical, Pentecostal Christians would have. It's probably more in line with what the Catholic Church yeah. has. So. Catholics, you probably saw it when you were at Rome. Catholics have, yeah. and we 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 tend to stick to the two angels that are mentioned in the Bible by name, Michael and Gabriel. But the yeah. Catholics have all these other the seven different angels. Now that all comes out of, and you, if you've been listening to my podcast, you've heard me talk about this numbers of times. There's another book called the Book of Enoch, which is not a new. It's not in our Old Testament, um, but it is in the Roman Catholic Old Testament, and it very much shaped up the view their worldview. And in there, they have all these other angels by name. Mm. Um, I can't even think of what some of the Catholic angels' names are now. There's a whole stack of them. Mm. Um, And they all come out of this book of Enoch, which shaped their understanding. So to them, they had a very well-developed angel angelology and they almost worshipped angels. They Mm. didn't, but they were borderline on worshipping angels. They saw them Mm. as so above them. And that's why we read here in chapter 1, the writer is going out of his way to make sure that they see that Jesus is not an angel. Mm. Jesus is above the angels. Jesus is overall. That's mm. the reason. So that they don't fall into this trap of uh, going back and worshipping angels or, or, mm. or honouring angels and not giving Jesus his due. Mm. Yeah. So that's the reason. And he's trying to say, you know, these angels that you you honour and esteem, they're, they're, they're really just servants. They yeah. They find their joy... They find their purpose in serving us yeah. humans. Yeah, we yeah they're powerful and yeah we hold them in awe, mm. but they are there for us, not the other way around. Yeah, that's what he's trying to say. Yeah, and that's that would be quite um, like you said that angels are so built up in 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 their in their in faith their culture, and, yeah, yes. in their culture, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, hang on, <laughs> yeah, that's right, <laughs> not the case, not the not the case, no mm. humans. Uh, I think he quotes it, Psalm, Psalm 8. Uh, he probably quotes it somewhere, quoting Psalm 10, 110, uh, somewhere. Um, no, it's not in here. I don't think it is. It's so many so many Old Testament passages quoted in Psalm, in Hebrews 1. But it's, it's Psalm 8 that says, You made him a little lower. Oh, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You, you made him a little lower, the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. And it's this reference to humans being 
Um, even though we're lower than the angels in terms of our power, we're actually above the angels in terms of our dignity and honor. God mm. has elevated us mm. um, above. So it will be somewhere in Hebrews. I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is. It's it in, is there. No, no. It's in chapter two. Chapter two. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So it's, it's there. In, it's it's a yeah. quote from Psalm eight. Verse yes. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there. So mm. this constant theme of um, putting Jesus in his place mm. and recognizing who he is. Mm. It's the supremacy of Christ. Yeah. Fantastic. Colossians 1 does the same thing. In fact, mm. I've got a Christmas tree over there and my verse on there is Colossians 1. To, what's our favorite Christmas, uh, verse about Jesus? And Colossians 1 says exactly this, virtually exactly the same as Hebrews 1 mm. about how um, Jesus is supreme over all creation. Mm. That's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It should be inspiring. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Anything else in Hebrews 1? No. All right. Well, good. we're going to go to chapter 4. We're not going four. to chapter 2. So. Yep. Just as well I mentioned that, we're going to chapter four to finish off. The home stretch. Home stretch. I have to say I'm pretty impressed. I reckon we're going to be one of the shorter ones, Georgia. Really? I think so. Unless you've got a whole lot of stuff in Hebrews 4. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so let's see how we go. Hebrews 4, where are we going to go with that? Yeah, um, so Hebrews 4 talks a lot about rest. Yes, it does. Um, And uh, it starts off uh, in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Which is interesting in itself. How can Um, you fall short of God's promise of rest? Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, that's a whole other question in itself. Um, But I guess the first part of that is, what is what is this rest? What does it look like? What, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what does that mean for us? Well, mm. let's look at what it would have meant for mm. them. Them, they're Jews. Yep. They think they think rest. They think Shabbat. They think Sabbath yes. straight away. So they're thinking uh, God rested on the seventh day. God commanded them to rest. They they're thinking that rest. Well, they're supposed to think rest is a gift from God. Uh, there's a there's a scripture around the manor in the Old Testament where they um, you know that they were supposed to collect the manor for six days and rest on the seventh day, and a few of them went out and collected on the seventh, tried to collect on the seventh day, and God told Moses to tell him, "Don't you realize that the Sabbath is God's gift to you?" So mm-hmm. the the concept of rest of, of from striving is actually a gift. Mm. And now to a Jewish people who had spent years in slavery, working seven days a week, sun up to sundown in Egypt, the whole concept of a rest was so foreign to them. It was, it was a way of God giving them this promise that, um, he will provide for them Mm. and they don't have to provide for themselves. In fact, you'll never be able to provide for yourself. You need to trust me. And so the Jews failed, Mm. (laughs) catastrophically (laughs) failed when it came to the Sabbath. Many, many times they would, they would work and they would uh, not trust God with it. And there's this, the Sabbath, the seventh day, there's, there's, um, every seven years, they're supposed to let the land not grow anything. That's a Sabbath mm. rest for the land. They didn't do that. Um, every 50 years, they were supposed to take a Sabbath year and return all the land back to it. They didn't do that. Mm. So they weren't good with keeping the Sabbath, mm. which is none of us are. Mm. We all fall into this thing of, of striving to get by on our own strength. Mm. And, and in the context of the book of Hebrews, the writer's trying to tell them you can't reach God in your own strength, in your own good works, in your own righteousness. You need to realize that there is a promise of rest 
and it's not contingent on your work. Mm. It's not contingent contingent on your own righteousness. It's contingent on trusting God. Um, and so with all that background, he says, so God still has a promise of entering his rest. It's still there. So, um, you know, it's a, what, let, let's, it says, for, uh, for, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you may fail to experience it. What does your version mm. say there? It was really much better in the NIV, I think. Uh, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short fallen of short it. Fallen short of it, yeah. Mm. So we can miss out on God's rest. Mm. And how do we miss out on God's rest? By um, turning back to our own works. Mm. And the Jewish faith that we were just saying in the previous conversation, they mm. were tempted to go back to, yeah. was back to their own works. You might feel like you'll get rest from persecution from the Romans, but you're not going to get rest. Mm. True shalom comes from faith in Christ, mm. that he is he's going to go on and say in the rest of Hebrews that he is our high priest. Yeah. He's the one who stands in the gap for us. So I think that's uh, it, it's, it's referring to Sabbath, mm. but the Sabbath principle of the Old Testament is pointing forward. It's yeah. supposed to... In and of itself, it's a it's an actual day of the week or, you know, a particular period of time when they rest. But in and of itself, while there's benefit in resting, we all need to rest and we all should have a day off from our normal work for our own bodies and all that. That's there. Mm. But that's not the primary purpose of Sabbath. It's pointing yeah. forward to a, a, a shalom. The word shalom or peace means more than just rest. It means um, completeness and wholeness mm. and joy we're talking mm. about today. So it's this full thing and it's supposed to be pointing forward to God's plan is to give you absolute rest from striving, mm. from struggling. And that's what Christ offers us. Mm. That was a very long-winded answer, wasn't it? No, no, that was fantastic. It was so good. It's, yeah. yeah. So I think that's where it's going with this whole idea of rest. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's good. It's good. It says in verse 6, God's rest is there for people to enter, um, but you need to accept it. Mm. Verse uh, he quotes the Old Testament. Verse seven says, "Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts." So he's saying, "Look, you could have really got. They never got rest. They never got the true rest. But it's offered offered to you through Jesus." Mm. Yeah, and that's going to take us towards the end about the high priest, which is you just mentioned. You've got a favorite verse in there somewhere. Yeah, haven't you? I do. I do. Um, something that gives me great joy. Okay, great. Let's finish <laughs> um, off with that. Yeah, we will. Um, I'm just going to read from 12 to 13 um, and then I'll highlight one, mm-hmm. of, my, one of my favorite things. Oh, no, sorry, um, 15 to 16. 15 to 16, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with, of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I love the idea that in this passage of scripture, God is inviting us to his throne with confidence, yes. to enter with confidence. Beautiful. And in another translation, it says boldness. Boldly. Yep. And it's, NIV says, let us come boldly. Yeah. Yep. And I just think that's a beautiful image of, of God's grace and willingness to accept us for who we are yep. and say, you can come to my throne with with confidence yeah. and, and boldness. You don't have to come timidly. Yeah, yeah. You don't have yeah. to be like, oh, am yeah. I welcome Is here? Is it like, okay if I come in? Yeah, he's he's asking us to come boldly mm. and, yeah, with great joy. That uh, brings me. Gr- I love that, Pat. Mm. I actually, when I first moved to Sydney in 2000 and went to Bible college, um, 
I had my very first assignment was on that passage of scripture. There you go. Yeah, so there you go. After all these years, I've never, and I spent a lot of time unpacking that scripture too about that boldness and mm. boldness, boldness and mm. how we can come confidently and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an encouraging picture. Mm. Uh, I got a revelation many years ago. I was watching the movie um, Lincoln mm. about Abraham Lincoln. And mm. I was sitting there watching Lincoln and his, well, what was like, it wasn't the Oval Office, but as president and all these people were coming in and out through the door and having these official meetings with him. And his son just walked in the back door and just came in boldly. Oh. And I was sitting there <laughs> and I thought, that's what I get to do with a God in heaven. I don't have to go through all the pomp and ceremony. He's like, just come on in, help yourself. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> come in and just take, and he's never too busy for us. You know, we just come bold because we're his children. Mm. We can come boldly. Yeah. Yeah. So. The way I walk into my mom's house, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah you own the place. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that's that, that's the picture. It's because yeah. your family and that's, mm. it's because we have one who understands us that mm. we can come. And yeah. there is one other thing that while you're on there, I'll point that out mm. there. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, or the throne of grace, other mm. versions say. Now, in the Old Testament, and this is tabernacle language, we're about to go on and spend a whole lot of time in the next chapter talking about Jesus and the, the similarity between the tabernacle on the earth and the tabernacle mm. in heaven and Jesus offering his blood and all of this. It's all tabernacle, tent, tent of meeting language, mm. temple language. And, and in the Old Testament, God's throne was seen as the mercy seat, which is the bit where the cherubim are right over the ark. And it was mm. called the mercy seat. It was a place where you would sprinkle blood and receive mercy. Mm. This writer to the Hebrews develops that analogy further and goes, it says, this isn't just a throne of mercy. Mm. This is now through Jesus, a throne of grace. Mm. And, uh, and it's a bit cliche, but a, a good definition I heard years ago, but the difference between mercy and grace we need both. Mm. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. So mm. being let off the hook. Mm -hmm. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Yeah. And so we can come boldly, not just get forgiveness, mm. but then actually get all this extra stuff lumped on <laughs> yeah, yeah. that we don't deserve. Yeah. Now, what if we can come boldly? It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's available. So Paul would so not Paul, the writer of the Hebrews would say, so why the heck would you want to go back to the old way of doing mm. things? Yeah. Uh, this is so much better. Mm. Yeah. So that's yeah. a great way to wrap up Hebrews 4. Mm. Read that again in your version because you, it's your, it's your favourite verse. Read it. Yeah. Uh, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Uh, there we go. Mercy mm. and grace. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Georgia. Thank you. It's Thank been you. such a fun time. We'll get you back next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After you go and have Christmas with your family. Yeah. And You'll yeah. only have to do five chapters a, year, a week next year. Okay. Oh, thank goodness, no. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for being with us. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, and Merry uh, Christmas. I think I'm back next week with Simon for the very, very last Christmas message. Come on. See you then. 